0: Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to The Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to Episode 45 of The Flying Free Podcast. Today I'm talking with Christy Bauman, an author, teacher, and psychotherapist who also spearfishes Don't you just love a well rounded soul? Christy practices as a licensed mental health counselor and supervisor and has co founded the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. So, Christy has a brand new, absolutely fascinating book that should be out and ready to purchase by the time this episode hits the airwaves. It's called Theology of the Womb. And that's what Christy and I talked about in this episode. I really think this conversation is going to unsnag many of you from lifelong lies that have held you down. I pray that it might even be the beginning of the long journey of healing for some of you. No matter what, you are going to be blessed by this conversation. So let's get started. Christy, I am so excited to have you here. I have... um. I talked to your husband a few yes. weeks ago, Andrew yes. Bowen, and he was talking about the intersection between pornography and abuse, mm-hmm. and he told me about your new book, and yeah. I just thought, oh my gosh, I have to talk to you too. I really think that, um, that the listeners could get so much out of Well, we were mm-hmm. talking right before the podcast started. Your book really dives into our, who we are as women and our value. And there's yeah. so much shame around our bodies, I think. Yes. And even yes. in the church, I, I got to tell you, okay, and then I'll let you talk because I want, this That's is great. you. Um, but I just, just on Twitter this morning, I mm. saw this, uh, it was a person on Twitter. Her name is Wretched. Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget what it is. Something about a wretched wretched sinner or something like that. Yeah. And she she is part of a follow a part of a group of people that call themselves these wretched people, but they're Christians mm-hmm. and they get their theology from, uh, I I want to say names, but I won't from preachers who basically teach that we are just basically wretched sinners and they leave out all of the, and what, what it leaves. So, okay. So I read that. Then I had a survivor just tell me this morning that, She Mm -hmm. feels she had this breakthrough in her therapy that where she feels like God just showed her that she actually doesn't believe she has any value at all. Mm -hmm. So we, we think we deserve the treatment that we get in the church and at home because we are female. We are flawed. Our Mm -hmm. brains don't work right. We're hysterical. If we have any emotions, our bodies are disgusting Mm -hmm. and just to be used by men or oogled by men and I think that your book really helps to s- set uh, women free. So tell yeah. us about yeah. your book. What's it called? Yeah. And, um, why did you write it?
1: Oh, so many good questions. Again, I feel like I could talk. There's so, you, so many things you just said that I want to say, yes. And there's research and there's research and there's this, and there're so many themes, but I, I will just stay with What um, I'm currently birthing right now, this month, is a book called Theology of the Womb, Knowing God Through the Body of a Woman. And um, so much to say about it as in context of the church, but really, really, it came from the cry of my heart, of the silence my body was being asked to bear, particularly in a Christian context. Um, And so whether it was the embarrassment of bleeding whether it was um, females not having a primary place in scripture where there's worth or um, advocacy or deity, I was searching for why I, my body felt less than. And um, h- how it's come forth is even in seeing clients or seeing um, marriages that are struggling to be in relationship, I see women again and again saying like, I am taught to be submissive. And I will tell you, I get fired up because it's false submission. Mm-hmm. They are not in, that is just killing them. It's killing their marriages. It's that, not their calling. It was not our calling as women. That's not what the Bible's asking from us. That's not what, that's not what God's asking for us. Um, but sadly, the church in some places of power and patriarchy have come alongside and asked that and told us that. And they're actually stealing from us what our body is really telling us is most true. What the image of God in us, what the Imago Day is telling us, which is we bear mother God in us. We bear the feminine God in us. And that's really hard in a patriarchal context. And yet I can't divorce that from myself because I have a vagina. I have a clitoris and I have to understand and I'm breast. And I have to understand God having those same body parts Mm -hmm. to use those words. I mean, I understand that God does not have body parts. And yet I needed God to be woman and mother so that I could continue understanding how I'm called to live in God's image. And so that's what the book is. It's an exploration of why my blood matters, what it means in scripture, what it means in um, the creation and that story and what my breast mean and what um, pleasure and my clitoris means and my vagina means and how it's holy and how it's supposed to be used for God's glory and how it's supposed to be spoken and loud and, and have a voice and what it means to bring the voice of my body into context to the church.
0: Um, right. It sounds almost heretical. I mean, really, from my background, my upbringing, to talk about God as being, you know, female. Not that you're saying that he's female or male because he's not a gender, but that he embodies both female and male. And I just, so tell me what you think about this. I just recently heard someone made a case for that the whole, that the spirit embodies more of the feminine qualities. Mm-hmm. yes. And I, when I heard that some, a light bulb went on inside of my mind when I thought that God actually could relate to me on a female level, uh, at some mm. level, I burst into tears. Yes. There was like something profoundly healing about knowing that. And I had never, that thought had never, that reality yeah. never crossed my mind before. Yeah. Never. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, yes, the Holy Spirit is the f- there is the feminine nature in the spirit, and I I, I think that's obvious just when you engage in the fee- with the female. There's something of our spirits that we know. There's a knowing, and it's mysterious, and I just think that's the quality of the Holy Spirit that I connect with. Yes, and even how I start the book out, it's going into God's birthing room, and you see. The creation story, but this time it's God and the Holy Spirit holding up us, their child, and saying, Oh, she has my eyes, she has, you know, my hair. And there's some glory of the Holy Spirit and God, the Father, looking at their creation, us, and saying, Like, they come from both of us, they're made in both of our image. And so the Holy Spirit taking that mother God role more in depth and I, I i think you're right i think everything in me was taught to be uncomfortable with that i mean using a sh- the female pronoun using she in certain ways it does feel heretical it feels like there is no way i can do this but honestly if i'm alone and not in the presence of a man i feel really intrigued by it mm-hmm. i feel really um n- nervous and hopeful and loved. I feel like if God made my clitoris out of his image, and I'm going to use him because that's the proper pronoun that we've ascribed. Um, But if honestly, if that's in his plan and out of his image, then he is she and she is me. And so that I need that. Otherwise, my body is somehow less than Mm-hmm. Grosser, it's not part of God's plan, and and that's just absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. It's just not true. But I don't think we've had uh, female theologians long enough from the pulpit not being martyred to te- tell us that story,
0: right?
1: And and um, we're not in a society where that is invited. Um, so that's not, that not that's yet. really not yet. And but there are there are societies that are inviting that, and I tell the story. Um, It is very common in African cultures where women will come. So so once a month, they'll have more or less um, a bachelorette party for the women in the villages who are getting married. And all all the women are required to come. And all the women of old, grandmothers, mothers, they bring three sexual positions to teach the brides that are going into marriage. Now, we might think, okay, that's hard to unpack. But what they're saying is, female pleasure and their bodies, and knowing sexuality is very important. A woman's um, a woman trusting and knowing her body is very, very important in a marriage, in an act of intimacy. Because honestly, if we look back in scripture, um, female temple prostitutes brought us into the divine. If we look at Kama Sutra, the female body, her arousal cycle brings us into the divine. Now we're taught in patriarchal societies, we just gotta learn how to get off quicker. We just have to learn how to orgasm at the same time that our partner's orgasm or a man reaches climax. And that's not the story. That's not even fair. That's us silencing our bodies and not listening. And we're just not explaining that to And yet other cultures know that already. Jewish law of Ona, this this sexual law, it knows that the women are in charge of sexuality. And yet in a patriarchal society, we see so much harm in objectification and in sex because that is not being taught. Women are not being taught to trust their bodies. And we're failing a society in
0: that. Well, and think of the, think of all the pleasure that could have been gotten by both men and women. Men love yes. that. When women are getting pleasure, men Yes, love that. Yes. That should be... I just always think of, you know, God and the enemy as being God wants to give us all these wonderful things and the enemy wants to steal all of them away. Yes. So wherever we see our freedom being taken, our autonomy being taken, our pleasure being taken or twisted and warped, we see the enemy at work, not God. And yet we've been told the opposite. It's been flipped so that we've been told, oh no, God's way. We've been yeah. basically we've been told that what the enemy is doing is actually what well that's what God is doing. You know. Right. And even as right. a female, I don't know if you've feel, felt like this but the fact that when when men have hurt me in my life and I've had many mm-hmm. men hurt me, when they have hurt me and then God is a man. It's mm-hmm. been very hard for me to separate oh. that God wasn't on their side. You know, that God yeah. wasn't identifying with them and not with me. Now, intellectually, I can say, well, that's not true. But on a fundamental core level, my body fear greatly fears that God is rejecting me just as much as these men or wants to use me just as much as these men rejected or wanted to use me or that I am only good for what I can give to people. But I am not I am not worthy enough to receive anything good from God or from Mm -hmm. other people. Now I've done a lot Mm -hmm. of healing in that, but that's, you know, that's what I've really struggled with my whole life. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dive into your book a little bit. Um, it's so intriguing that you talk about the different body parts too. Cause again, when I, I mean, even now as an adult, I'm 53 years old and when I Mm. hear you just say words like, you know, vagina and clitoris right here on the, I'm just like, yeah. oh, we can't say that. That's like, no, yeah. that's our bottom. We just call that our bottom. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, that's kind of my upbringing. We don't talk about yeah. those things. We don't talk about your, um, the fact that you bleed every month or yeah. that, or what that is. We just deal with it. So, yeah. and yet your book, you just like throw that right out there and you not only throw it out there, but you talk about it in this really beautiful, incredible way that actually marries all of those, what we think of as disgusting things, with God's holiness and who God is. And so tell us about that.
1: Yes. Oh, and it's just, what is beautiful to me is in this process of research, it's become more and more apparent that God has been jointly telling his story through women. So where I used to look at the Bible and think, there's not women in this Bible, or where my daughter say like, mom, where are all the women? Like, where are the stories? And sadly for me, they've all been connected to sex or objectification, or if you could birth a male into the, um, tribe, it, this is, uh, it's been so painful. And yet now when you talk about it, I'm like, oh, but there's so many stories. Let me tell you, like, let me tell you how this past Sunday is, you know, um, if we look, it, the Magnificat is Mary's story, Mary's song, when she finds out that she's with child and she's going into Advent. And so there is story upon story where God is telling the story through a woman's body, Eve's body. Like, it, And and I'm starting to get so excited because it's there. We just have not been shown it. And so I'm just like so ready with this book to be like, I need all of you women to just check in with your bodies because... God has been waiting to speak through it. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, so let me start with just something as simple as our blood. We do bleed. And, and um, as some say, their mothers told them that was the curse that you have the curse. Like now you're bleeding. Now you've reached menstruation and that's what it is. And um, that was not the story for me, but every woman remembers how she, she first bled when she first found blood in the bathroom. And, what that story was like for her and that's our our birthright story the the red tent the passing down of mother before mother telling us this is how you get to co-create with the creator you've just been initiated into the process the life death life cycle so we must bleed so that we must birth and men are not given this gift they are not given the gift to birth life mm. It is one of the most powerful acts. I mean, I have chills right now. I can feel it. I feel the holiness of being chosen to bring life into this world. Now, does that limit women who choose not to bring life in this world? No. It's just the initiation of our birthright was that we were invited to co-create and to create. And there's something in all women that we want to create. We want to create businesses. We want to create beings we want to create relationship we love life at our core we love creating life we love creating love it just bubbles out of us but there is a cost and the blood reminds us of the cost Mm -hmm. and that's why we still care that's why it still matters to us that's why when when we're birthing a big dream in our life it hurts and there's pain Because we know that there's been times where we've birthed and it has laid lifeless and we've had to bury. Every one of us know those stories. Every human knows that story. But women are invited to remind us through their cyclical bleeding that it's only a season, that life, then death, then life always comes. Mm -hmm. But we're not telling our daughters that story. We're not telling them their birthright. When we look at the Bible, we see a lineage of men. This was the son of so-and-so, of so-and-so, of so-and-so. And women are not named there. And yet when every child, every woman that's born, her birthright gets told to her in, in the red tent or from the story of her mother and her grandmother. And I'm afraid that women have forgotten to tell the story. They don't know anymore the story.
0: Right. They
1: don't know what matters. They don't know how to give birthrights to their daughters. And the and the church is the place that's failed us as women. It hasn't given us our birthright. It hasn't told us why we bleed and why there's a purpose. And that Christ mimics that in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. That our stories mimic that on a cycle. And that that's our story. That's our birthright. That's what happens when we bleed for the first time. We get invited into that story.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine a church where the men and the women and the boys and the girls Mm -hmm. were united in, in, you know, with equal value, equal opportunities, equal celebrating what we each bring to the table through our bodies and through our intellects and through our spirituality. It would be absolute. I mean, I, I really believe that this is the single most thing that is hindering the growth of the Church of Jesus Christ today is the, the 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 lack of understanding or the lack of of capturing this vision of working together as yeah. a people of God of all races both genders. Working yes. together for the kingdom of God, and it's just this grasping of power that is uh, that is just it's that's a total sign of the enemy grasping for power. The exactly. interesting thing is that that uh, the men would say, I've heard men say this, I've seen it, where they would say, "Well, you women are trying to grasp for power away from us," mm-hmm. but that's not, but that is not what we're talking about at all. are mm-hmm. mm-hmm. not when when we give you know when we give birth when we are acting out of who God created us to be. That is not grasping for power, other than the power that God has given to us Mm -hmm. to do the things that God has created us to do. Right, and we can't. Yeah. So anyway,
1: well, and that's the dynamic, right? If we actually want to use the physical bodies, if that's more helpful, um, there's the context of being penis envy and vagina envy, and the truth of it is, is they need the other, and that is just. It was so frustrating and so mind blowing because trauma enters here in these very sensitive places. But where a woman needs to be soft enough to be entered and a man needs to be hard enough to enter or strong enough maybe hard is a more violent word but strong enough to enter. We need men to have strength to hold a woman's w- vulnerability. And when she brings her glory into the church, right? Or into the yeah. story into the society. And and so where I think in some ways men may have vagina envy because they can't birth life and they need a woman's glory, they submit to women's glory and, and they struggle with that. And so they try to overpower it and harm it and violate it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get objectification and trauma because it is hard for a man to stand next to the glory of a woman and not want to consume it. Or stifle it, or shut it down. It's hard to engage in that, and vice versa. It's a sh- it's with shaking hands that I come in front of a man, and and I want him to stand in his power and bless me, and and promote me, and bring me to to um, to honor me. It's like I long for that. I long for his strength to come alongside me and say, "Yes, what you're saying is glorious." will you speak? Like His strength right there is so complimentary. And yet I feel so nervous. I don't trust it because it's harmed me prior. Um, I don't trust it because it's going to want to squash me at some point. It's going to want to violate or objectify me. My glory easily turns into my beauty and then my beauty gets devoured. I mean, that dance of men and women working together we just don't have good mentors. We don't have good. We I, I don't know stories where it's been mm-hmm. successful. I, I just don't. Um, and, and so that's where the heartbreak is because the church is supposed to be leading in that, mm-hmm. and, and we and we aren't. Yeah, I, we think really there's, aren't.
0: I really believe that there's a movement that that God is doing a very powerful thing right now in the church in in really dismantling it at mm-hmm. a core level. It's kind of imploding really from the inside out. Yeah. And that that it seems like oh no, you know, it's going down the tubes, but it's not. He's he's doing a healing work, but he has to take he has to do serious surgery on yeah. serious cancer that's been in there since yes. the beginning of time. Really, this is yes. a this is an in the garden problem. And I think he's finally doing some really, well I think he's been working all along but I just think he's doing something on a very massive scale right now. And there's a huge awakening and I don't believe that we're going to see a whole lot in our generation, but I think that God is doing something really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is mothering. Okay. So um, especially, okay. Now you've had a loss. Yes. Um, We
1: lost our first child. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And that wasn't, how many years ago was that now?
1: It'll be eight years this December.
0: So not that long ago. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And that pain never goes away. Um, sure. But you've had two children since then. Correct? Three children. Three I children. have three
1: children. Yes. Oh my
0: goodness. Wow. That's fabulous. So yeah. but there's so many, I have friends who have not been able to have children or yeah. um, whoever ado- I have friends who have adopted children. I have mm-hmm. friends who've lost children. I Mm -hmm. had a lot of children, but I also had five losses. Mm -hmm. So how do you, but, and, and then there's the whole idea of sometimes your children grow up and they don't follow the Lord um, or they're on their own journey. Hopefully they'll come back, you know, but they're on their own journey trying to figure out life. Um, Many of us, especially my listeners are coming out of broken homes, even if they're still with their spouse, their home is really broken on a very core level And so the parenting is affected. Obviously the children's lives are affected and there's just a lot of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And you, you're a therapist. You Mm -hmm. see this all the time,
1: all the time. Mm -hmm.
0: So as far as mothering though, whether we're mothering our own children or we're mothering lost children or we're not mothering biological children, but maybe adopted children, or we're not mothering children at all, but we're mothering, The children Mm -hmm. in our lives, the Mm -hmm. nieces and nephews, and the children, or even just um, other women that we are, you know, that are younger than us that we're mentoring. Yes. How does your book talk about? Like, how does your book have a framework for the whole idea of mothering?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And so, what we know, and what I just call forth in all people is to know their own story, but women in particular, and to know their story of mothering. Meaning I ask, what was your birth story? Were your parents in love when you were conceived? Do we really know that question? No. Do we have an idea? Possibly. Um, And so then what was the day of your birth like? How was that story told? How do your parents recall it? Who was there? Who was not there? Who tells the story? Who doesn't? there's so much curiosity we should have in our own stories of birth. Um, And because we want to learn how we were taught to birth, meaning how you come to birth something, a child, a dream later in life is going to show up. Our story shows up thematically. Evil shows up thematically. Good shows up thematically, meaning if God is constant and evil knows how to try to thwart that. There's probably one theme that keeps happening in our stories, and it probably happened on our day of birth. So for every one of us, knowing how we came into the world is very important. And knowing the day of our birth and this our birth story and our birthright are all really important things to mothering. So I'm asking every woman, know the story of how you were mothered so that you know the story of how you mother or how you've had to learn to mother or, or, and build those tools. And how are you mothering yourself? So truly, when I birthed children into this world and my first son being stillborn, and then birthing three more miscarriages and three more live births in, the, in a matter of eight years, how I mothered myself when I buried a child when I flushed blood and tissue down a toilet, how I kissed or brought a child to my breast whenever it came out of me, was very important to how I mothered myself. So do you see, I'm actually asking, how do you mother that younger part of you, that part of me that never thought God would ask me to hold something lifeless in my hands? I actually thought God loved me too much, To let me birth something dead, I thought somehow I was more chosen, more holy. And yet I had to mother myself in that moment that God loved me so much that He allows all women to lose, to have loss, and all women to have gain. Like that, that's just a part of the story. He loves us all the same. I'm not more privileged because I'm white. And because I live in a Western society with money and I had hospitals and I had things like suffering doesn't have that. And God is kind enough to give us, to allow us to handle suffering. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I kind of get off on these tangents because I get so excited about this information, but truly, truly, how are we mothering ourselves? It's the question, how do we mother ourselves through heartbreak and through goodness and through glory, through trauma and through hope, and through birth, and through life. Like, it's, it's, just a, it's a question we don't wrestle with very often. Um, I have mothers upon mothers say, like, will you help my child? And I say, okay, but do you know if you care for yourself, it's going to be tenfold if I sit with your child. It's not that I'm not willing to sit with your daughters, but I want to sit with you first, so that you know how to mother yourself, so you know your worth, so that then you can bring it to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So I think mothering is a bigger act than actually birth or fostering or adoption. I think those are true, but I think the, the themes have been all along in our story. How were you originally mothered? How were you brought into this world? How was your birthright handed to you? um how were you greeted when blood and body was broken on your behalf mm-hmm. did your mother hate you that her body was broken and torn open for you or or did she look at you with glory and name your glory i these are just important questions in mothering there there are tools our body gives us our tools to engage in glory mm. i hope that makes sense but to me that's the story of mothering
0: yes it does make sense, and I think actually i mean what what you just said just now in mothering yourself that is the that's the key. Yeah. I've noticed that in my own life and in the people that I've talked with, if they can grasp their own value and mm-hmm. that they are worth yes. turning inward and actually taking care of, if they can learn how to take care of themselves, yes, they actually will start making decisions that begin to set them free. Yes. But until they see their own value, until they look at that little child that they are, that little girl, and actually love that little girl instead of despising her, because yes. we take on the attitudes of the people that we grew up with. Exactly. And a lot of us grew up and felt despise. We despised ourselves yeah. because we felt that from other people. That yes. unless we were perfect unless we showed up and made everyone happy that we were just an ugly little crybaby who deserved to ha- you know be locked in a room yeah and that is and so then we grow up and we feel like that ugly little crybaby
1: yeah
0: who if she, yeah. who and we just need to shut up yeah you know yeah. But-
1: and the story of the mother is that is what the mother comes and says what's the story of your breast What's the story of your vagina? What's the story of your clitoris? What's the story of your belly, your pelvic floor? What's the story of your lips? What's the story of beauty? How has beauty either cursed you or harmed you or let you get away with things that you shouldn't have? Or how has it damned you? these are the questions a mother asks so when we're not asking them to ourselves when women and maybe i take it further than mothering but when women are not asking the questions of what's the story of my body we don't know how to invite those questions to other women and we're silencing their most powerful t- their most powerful tool and their most common use of glory which is their self their sto- their bodies yeah. our bodies my breast They have a story. And how I interpret that story and how I come to know that story is how I'm going to bring my breast into the room with pastors, with um, my clients, with my children. Do I wear my breast as a breastplate of righteousness or do I hide them in shame? Do I cover them?
0: Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me?, Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called FlyingFreeNow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. Okay, so Christy, in your book, you give a lot of personal details about your own experience with stillbirth and having children and all of your losses and in your whole journey, your path. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, I mean, that's, you made yourself very vulnerable and transparent. What
1: Mm -hmm. was
0: that like for you? And does that make you Mm -hmm. nervous when you think about releasing a book like that to the public?
1: You know, I, it actually makes me a little bit more nervous or I don't want to make my clients ever work harder. And sometimes like the gift of having a therapist is you don't know anything about their story. You don't know their life. And that's kind of great. Whereas my story has been out there, my grief, my questioning of God, my coming back, um, my stories of my period, my stories of sex with my husband. I mean, these are things that are just, they're uncomfortable. Like you said, just in that, in in the essence of them. And so I think I fear more of my clients having to do more work. I feel a little sad
0: for them. Um, <laughs> and I think this yet, will help them. I do. They'll explain it to you as a human, you know? Right.
1: That's the greater that's the greater um, thing that keeps me going is that what I truly, truly believe is that our transparency combats the jealousy that women are innately like inclined to have towards the other. And that's what beauty does, right. Is she's more beautiful than me, or she can show more skin than I can, or she can allure in a way I can't. And we are set up with the lie. The sisterhood comes against this lie that would say, I have something you don't have, and I'm going to keep it from you. And I want to dispel that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, now, here's what you'll find is people will also be jealous that I'm so transparent and that they want to be that too. So the truth of it is, is we want to be known and we want to be seen and we want to be connected to and we want to be chosen. That's my greatest desire also. But the belief you said is this will probably help your clients to see this part of your transparency. We all want to be mothered by an honest mother. We all want to be in a sisterhood by people who are telling each other, not just their secrets, but the way to make it through this world okay and empowered. And that's what I'm trying to do. My transparency of telling a story of a tampon getting stuck or bleeding through my shorts, it's to say that every one of us has either had that experience and whether we've been caught, there's been shame attached to it. Or And I want to dispel that shame. I want truth Mm -hmm. to just break that open and say, you're free to come as you are and your body's good. You have a good, good body and it's telling a really incredible story. So don't be afraid to tell it. In that, I would say I tell stories about sexual encounters with my husband because I want people to be known in the scariest place. And I think. Evil has such a heyday in the bedroom and in the sexual experience. And I want to disperse it. I want to break it open and say there has to be a bigger story to sex. It cannot just be about orgasm because I would give that up every day of the week to erase the harm that sexuality has done and what it's stolen, sex trafficking and abuse. I mean, I would give it up in a minute. So it has to have more power or more meaning. And I need to explore that and tell that story so that every woman has that same understanding and empowerment when she goes to the act of intercourse. I want her to know her body, or at least want to explore my body honestly enough of how I managed to stay married, to stay a person who thinks sex can bring power and my body can bring, I call it gold dust, can bring glory onto this earth to combat the harm that's happening. I think the only way to tell those stories is to expose myself because I believe it's for the greater good.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so beautiful. You're such a beautiful (laughs) person. I just, I'm so tickled that I've got a chance to meet you and we wouldn't have Mm. met otherwise, you know, it's true. I just feel so blessed. Okay. So before we close, is there something, what is the, what is the main thing that you really, really, that's just like the core gem or you talked about gold dust, but what's the gold nugget that you just really, really want your readers or these listeners here to walk away with that they could, um, that would transform their life.
1: Hmm. That their body is telling a story and it's worth looking at and studying and whether that means the next time they go to take a shower, they look at their naked body in the mirror And they ask their breast, they ask their lips, they ask their hair, they ask their vagina to tell them the story from their point of view. And they stop and listen. And they take it in. And they mother it well by saying, thank you, breast, for the cost. Thank you for sagging because you fed three of my babies and gave them life. Thank you. Thank you, stretch marks. Because those were my children's artwork that I forever get to hold tattooed on my abdomen. Will we look at our bodies and bless them, bless the markings so that we can know intimacy because we offer those markings to others who are safe and we exchange those stories and we know each other and we're known by the other. That's the hope Mm -hmm. for every woman. Yeah. For every human.
0: Thank you so much, Christy. Yeah. This was just, yeah. it was, it, that I'm going to take. Okay. And I'm going to do that next time I'm in okay. the shower. Because I do okay. have a lot of just, I just feel gross about my body. And I, yeah. that needs to change. Yeah. I had nine kids, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. And,
1: and what you. a warrior body you have. Yeah. And so will you, will you bless it and weep with it yeah. as it tells its story?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank okay. you. We're going to yes. say goodbye now. Okay. And thank you well, now. actually, before we go, I just want to say that this episode of, and I have to read this because I don't have it memorized. It's great. Okay. It doesn't matter if, if this, those of you who are just listening to the podcast, you would never know this except that I just said that. But those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see that I'm reading. This episode of the Flying Free podcast is sponsored by the private Flying Free education and support community. It offers courses, workshops, live coaching, and more for women of faith who are seeking hope and healing from emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships and communities. You can find out more at joinflyingfree.com. Thank you so much for listening and fly free.